0: Is the housing downturn over? What is going on? Sydney house prices fell 1% last month. Literally double-digit price falls if you annualise it. The news is all about the biggest property decline in 40 years. It's a storm out there. Fixed rates are expiring and repayments are nearly doubling. Interest rates are rising. There's apparently 800,000 mortgage prisoners out there. Unemployment is rising, yet the question remains, is the housing downturn over? Today I have my best mate, ex-treasury economist and wonderful person, Curtis Stewart with me to discuss this question. Curtis, how are you?
1: Yeah, going really well. It's an interesting one. And um, yeah, I think to start with, like why are we bringing this up now? Um, And I think there's some data that um, we're Mm -hmm. starting to see, which is bringing on this question. Mm -hmm. Um, We're 24 days into Feb. Um, And in the market that we follow most closely in Sydney, because it's where we are, um, where Sydney's on track to post an increase in prices month on month for the first time in a year, basically, since the downturn um, in prices started. Um, And last month alone, like you mentioned, you know, there was a 1% fall, which annualized, you know, to double digits. So the Sydney results um, in February are kind of showing a bit of a massive turnaround from you Know a really, really substantial fall, yep. um, annualized in January, yep. um, to you know a slight increase, you know, maybe you know 0.2, pretty small increase. But
0: you know, when you're coming off a 1% fall, um, yep. a pretty big change in market conditions for sure. If you if you chart this out and put a picture of it, it'll look like a hockey stick. Um, house prices falling from that negative 10% benchmark when you annualize it to uh positive, um, and It'll be a small positive if it is positive, but um, neutral level or positive, it looks like a hockey stick, just a huge jump up in uh, market activity. Um, And we're also seeing this in the latest lead data as to what is going on in the housing market in Sydney and across the country, actually, in many parts um, in the auction results every week. this weekend, um, that just passed the final clearance rate. So this isn't the preliminary one that comes out shortly after on Saturday evening, but the final results were at seventy-two percent. Um, that is the number one lead indicator for where prices are heading, and it correlates um, and um, auction clearance rates and. Uh, house price data have a very close correlation and it correlates to actually a pretty substantial uh, month-on-month price increase. Um, So this hockey stick doesn't look like it's going to stop at neutral levels. It looks like um, in the short term, at least, the prices for Sydney might be in the green and stay in the green for February and March, even Mm. if these clearance rates continue to start the year. Yeah. So given, I guess, this is the first kind of piece of data
1: that might indicate some price rises or at least, you know, um, falls no, no longer continuing. And um, we thought we'd kind of go through it and unpack it a little bit yep. um, to talk it through because, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, Everything's, you know, we're at the bottom, and it's all all over, and it's all uphill from here. Yep. Um, but it is uh, some signs that there's some new data um heading in a different direction, so it's worth unpacking. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, do you want to run through, I guess, unpacking a little bit in terms of what's driving this change? Um, yeah, you know, in, sure in prices, really. I,
0: I think we've got to look at this a little bit as this is the price activity. Now we have to explain it backwards. Um, it's a little bit of a surprise that this is actually happening so quickly. Um in the sense that uh, there's a lot of demand out there at the moment, but um, why is, is the question that we're trying to unpack a little bit here. Um, I think the big underlying reason is, is actually tied to the rental market. Um, rents in Sydney, asking rents are up nearly 30% um, year on year. Um, actual rents are, are rising very, very sharply and have been rising very, very sharply for a year or so already. So when you have rental amounts up, You know, 20, 30, 40%. That uh, increase in the income of housing, um, so rents is the income that housing produces, um, you actually have an increase in the fundamental valuation of housing. Um, So that's probably triggered by migration levels soaring, um, low levels of building at the moment, um, like. The rental market is driving a change in valuations. Um, So I think that's the number one reason. Um, It's not that much of a surprise that CoreLogic is reporting um, green now. Um, We sort of suspected that in um, November, December, that it could happen in quarter one. And that was on the back of the clearance data that occurred in November, December. Um, CoreLogic, we find, is probably, you know, 30, 60 days behind what's going on on the ground. And that Clearance data from November December was in the mid sixties, um, which suggested that there may be green, and now it's bumped up even a little bit further. And those green shoots in the price index have already come up. So, um, rental markets will probably be my number one explanation for it. Yeah. What else have we got, Curtis? Yeah. Well, I think there's you know a couple more factors.
1: We have already seen relatively large price falls. Um, yep. So I think you know there's a bit of demand that's coming online from people that. Have seen these price falls and are now thinking, okay, you know, this is the time to enter the market. Um, mm. You know, prices are a little bit more reasonable than they than they have been previously. Yep. People are trying to time the bottom, and I think they're trying kind of getting into that window where you know now or over the next few months is the time time to jump in. Um, mm-hmm. that one's a little bit more speculative, but I think the one thing we have seen particularly in our role is like first home buyer first home buyer activity has been up. Yeah, um, for sure. You know the um, 1.5 million, you know, option to take the property tax in New South Wales has I think made a big difference. Yep. Um, you know combined with some of the other first home buyer concessions, it's yeah, it's basically meant that there's a we've seen a big increase in demand from first home buyers. I guess, looking at the price falls, um, looking at the concessions they have that make the deposit or the cash requirements significantly easier for them. um, And all, yeah, that combination, basically, it's their time to jump into
0: the market. For sure. I I think we're also seeing um, the general sentiment of, I've been looking to buy a property and I've been waiting through 2022. I've been waiting for that price fall to occur. And I've just viewed twenty twenty three as my benchmark reason for for jumping back in. Um, so maybe there's a little bit of impatience from people who are looking. Um, stock levels remain low, so you know choices out there haven't been that great. Um, we're reopening, I guess, the housing market for the year. So there's that little sugar hit that kicks in in February. Um, yeah. That um, some real estate agents are reporting. Um, some friends of ours. Um, so there's all of these reasons as to why uh, the downturn's over. I think the key really is from a valuations perspective and assessing whether it's a good time to buy housing and whether we're at equilibrium again in in Sydney house prices. Um, I think 15% price fall, 30% increase in rentals. You put those two together, yields have just uh, shot up. up. Um, So yes, yields need to shoot up because the cost of credit has also uh, shot up. Um, Another point that I've been mentioning as well um, is Uh, the total value of housing is at $9 trillion. Um, The total value of debt is at $2 trillion. So um, the rental income of housing kind of applies to that $9 trillion figure, whether it's you actually living in your home or whether you're renting your home, there's an opportunity cost for those that are actually um, living in their home. So that 30% rental increase on $9 trillion, it actually outweighs By a distance, the increase in repayments on $2 trillion worth of debt. So, the feedback loop into valuations here is credit, of course, is really, really important to valuations um, and determining what the fair valuation of something is. But on the ground, the actual value of credit is uh, 25, 30% LTV of the total value of housing. So, maybe that factors into it as well. So, rental rises are actually much bigger than we probably give uh, credit credit for for. yeah
1: yeah and i think the um one other factor that we haven't mentioned so far is uh migration so you know migration levels are through the roof Mm. um you know probably the first time post covid that we're starting to post you know very very significant incoming migration levels um you know and i think that definitely you know pushes a bit of demand up through as well
0: yeah 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 that's true um so that's probably feeding through to that rental market and those rental market factors yeah. are feeding into um, the housing market. Curtis, we just talked about this earlier. Like, you you are now participating in the rental market or have just found a house that you're going to be renting in. Um, one thing that we're hearing a lot from real estate agencies, uh, there's some buyers of them. are buying housing just purely because they went to go rent a home and they're just like no i don't want to go through this down. it's just it's just too difficult at the moment um you know can can you shed some light as to your experience i think that's probably more anecdotal than
1: than anything else but no that was almost my experience (laughs) where i was almost um yeah you know particularly in sydney um and you know in the inner suburbs where i was looking um yeah you know there's queues of 40 50 people to get a rental property yeah. so um after a few of those i was kind of like oh i think i'll just you know pay my deposit and purchase i can't be bothered um but um, it wasn't long after that i actually found a place so it, it all worked out but um yeah I, yeah, yeah i think if you've Got the if you like, I guess for me, because I'm no longer a first home buyer, I don't have access to those concessions um, yeah. or anything like that. But if I had them, there's no way I'm queuing up behind 30 people for a rental. If I was see, um, yeah, yeah, okay. if I had
0: access to those concessions again, no chance, yeah, yeah. I think that's a big part of it as well. Um, so that makes sense a little bit. Um, if, uh, my wife and I, um, we bought an owner occupier a couple of years ago and, and renting actually suited us at that time. Um, we're in the middle of building, um, a home that we plan on living in. So, uh, renting suited us at the time. Um, but then uh, it just didn't suit our family arrangement. So, um, we decided to buy at the time and it was during the COVID sort of disruption and there were a lot of expats coming back and we needed a family home for our circumstances and renting was just really, really difficult. So we ended up buying um, instead of renting and changing our plan. So perhaps there's an element of that. So it's it's all coming from this rental market and just the, the strength of this uh, the rental market in general, and the the uh, friction in being able to find a home that suits, that's causing a little bit more demand for housing. Potentially, that's some of it too. Um, it's very hard to measure that because it's behavioural. Yeah, it is. Um,
1: but I think you know, in our business, we see some of that come through mm-hmm. in the first home buyer demand. You know, oh, it's often sure. the. Um, you know, those renters who are first potential first home buyers, um, that, you know, their experience in finding a rental property or even if they have a rental property, copying the rental increase basically,
0: yeah, um, sure.
1: you know, makes it more attractive to buy like yeah. that that relative equation has shifted um, a
0: little bit. Yeah, for sure. Um, For first-time buyers listening out there, the sub $900,000 level um, as well. So there's two benchmark levels that are kind of changing. The sub $900,000 level, um, you could really buy now with a $45,000 deposit. So that's 5% of... Nine hundred thousand. That's forty-five thousand. You know, a couple of thousand dollars for incidentals. Um, you get a five percent deposit. Get on that um, the FHDLS, Um, So no, no mortgage insurance, no stamp duty. You opt for the um, you of yeah, yeah. the property tax. That's crazy. You're buying a nine hundred thousand dollar house for forty-five thousand um, dollars capital. Um, so it's great. Um, leveraging potential if you're just trying to find a home to live in and build up an asset portfolio. So there's a demand in that sort of uh, segment um, that's quite attractive. Um, Usually $45,000 wouldn't get you very far, but now it gets you a $900,000 house in Sydney to live in. Um, Actually a budget you can work with in sydney like yeah you can buy a yeah. two-bedroom apartment in most parts of sydney for yeah, that. yeah um so it's you can't buy everywhere but you can buy an apartment buy housing out west as yeah. well so th- there are
1: options but yeah you know previously before the FLHDS, you know we were looking at 650 for your stamp duty exemption mm. um and you know in sydney for a lot of people that yeah. you know didn't really provide attractive options for housing whereas exactly. like now at 900 um you know you've got a bit more room that kind of makes all the difference
0: yeah and, and then there's the big one which is the 1.5 million dollar amount um you Typically need a fair bit more capital here. Um, most of our buyers at that sort of level aren't buying with a ninety with a five percent deposit. Um, but there's a lot of people, you know, access to mortgage um, insurance waivers can get in with a ten percent deposit. Um, you know, so many professions qualify now, so um, you you can be purchasing for one point five million with one hundred fifty thousand dollars of capital. Um, the time to save i guess how lo- how difficult is it to actually go and buy for one point five million and how long does it take to save the deposit there saving one hundred and fifty thousand um, dollars is much easier than saving three hundred and fifty thousand mm. um, dollars and typically to be able to borrow uh, You know, 1.5 million that you want um, for that purchase price, or you know, 90 percent or 80 percent of it, you'll be on a fairly um, good income as well. Like, you know, that's probably translates to a 250 thousand plus income, a household income. So, um, those those demand segments um, exist. Uh, There's a lot of people in Sydney that fit those that profile and those are actively looking a little bit more now because of these grants that are there and the short-term incentive boosts that exist that it's just um lifting up demand a little bit we've noticed that already to begin the year yeah for sure
1: so if we take a, a bit of a step back and have a look at a guess a broader assessment um what are your thoughts i know you know we've mentioned that there's a bit more demand and the february numbers mm.
0: are a bit more promising. But, yeah, what's your overall mm. assessment? Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. Um, so I think it's way too early to make the call. The housing downturn is over. Uh, we can't make that call with any confidence at the moment, um, and we did do this in May 2019. I'm on a podcast with Smart Property Investment and I used the word boom and I recall people just being like, wow, you know, spooker to saying that the market's about to boom. But the reason why I said it is um, it was the weekend after Scott Morrison won the election. Tax changes uh, were wiped. Um, borrowing power changes had um, just been announced by APRA. Rate cuts had um, you know, kicked in the following month. Um, you know, There were tax cuts that just happened. It was stage two of the tax cut plans. Those are all these things that changed the financial conditions underlying buying a home. Um, and it just completely changed all the factors. Um, the debt to income ratio. So this is just like, what's your gross income versus yeah. multiply it to work out what you can kind of borrow. Went from like six to eight at the time. Now, that's a pretty substantial improvement in borrowing capacities. We don't have any of those push factors now. Um, sure, we have some underlying drivers of demand for housing and and some good fundamentals for housing in general, but credit conditions are still like our Extremely podcast was. Tight, yeah, yeah, yeah the tightest they've ever been, and they're getting tighter. Um, and this is the the number one reason why I can't say that the downturn's over is. It's actually a little bit of a surprise. Like conditions probably point to, financial conditions probably point to a little bit more to go with price falls. Um, The reason for that is it's from our last podcast and we've got more information coming out as well. The RBA have changed their tune. That's clear, clear Mm -hmm. as day now. Um, You know, we're trying to read the first message on February, um, right after the the, the February rate call. Um, We did the podcast a couple of weeks ago. We're trying to read between the lines as to what they were saying, but now What they are saying, what they mean is absolutely crystal clear. Um, They've taken a hawkish pivot. Um, They've made it absolutely clear they will do what it takes to beat inflation. And even further, they've made it clear that collateral damage be damned, like businesses be damned, households be damned. Sure, we feel bad about this, but that's not our job. Our job is to get inflation down. The cost of inflation sticking around is extremely dangerous for our economy, and we will do what it takes to beat it the minutes that came out a couple of days ago, they discussed either a 25 BIP or a 50 BIP increase. Um, and my read of the minutes is the reason why they didn't do the 50 BIP increase was largely because they've already pivoted to, and the communication when they pivoted down to 25 BIPs and they're like, it sounded a little bit like maybe we made a mistake there. Maybe we should have kept 50 BIPs going in November and possibly even December um, rather than, um, uh, you know, now pivoting backwards again and scaring everyone. So uh, yeah, that's a but, pretty big change in communications, and the markets just seem to take it in stride or either doesn't know about it or it's just excluded it all together
1: yeah and like i think definitely the minutes you know revealed that that was really the choice they were making you know there was mm-hmm. no discussion of potentially holding um it was oh. 25 or 50 yep. um and you know they they went for the more conservative route i guess at 25 but yeah like 50 was on the table and no. zero wasn't
0: did, zero wasn't on the table did so. you catch the um uh, so uh, philip Lowe was uh, in parliament last week for like six hours um did you catch the uh, the sitting did you watch yeah yeah a watch bit, not
1: not the whole six hours i my yeah. nerd level's not quite that high but oh, i yeah. caught a lot of it so yeah. my nerd levels
0: relatively yeah. high yeah. Um, my wife was looking at me over the weekend. Um, I think I was watching cricket. It was a cricket that, um, that occurred over this weekend. And um, Steve Smith, my favourite batsman, um, that might be controversial, but um, he he loves the shadow bat. And um, what I was doing uh, was listening to. Um, the, the senate estimates and these senators can be very very aggressive and for for, for a little period i was shadow philip blowing it and, <laughs> and trying to answer these questions just hit pause and tried to answer the question as to what um, <laughs> the senators were asking and i found myself being very aggressive to the senators being like wow that's a stupid question <laughs> like come on you should know your homework what are you saying what are you insinuating like um and i thought he handled it with grace with like a lot of like communication, very clear. And I was very surprised by the quality and how difficult that job is um, to yeah. actually sit there and be grilled by senators who are just, you know, literally baseball batting. <laughs> Asking for your resignation, yeah. Essentially, yeah. And um, the key thing here was there was so much information, like six hours of Philip Lowe speaking and talking and answering questions. He gives a lot away. And um, the, the, the the thing that was so clear was, the economy be damned like inflation must go that that yeah. that's what, was what I got out of it and inflation must go in an urgent way because he talked about psychology and how inflation could seep through the economy and if we don't beat it quickly then uh pricing behaviors will change. change yeah yeah we're seeing that i understand that as business owners when you when you when you see inflation around you probably have more scope to change your prices and you're able to and you want to so um, we're seeing that play out and um, You know, he talked about preserving the gains in employment and it's desirable to go and do that um, and try and keep the economy on an even keel. Mm. But there was a clear, strengthened message. Inflation must be beaten. Um, So that... Is scary because uh, we might have inflation in quarter one. That data coming out, it might be a bit sticky. It might take a little bit of time to come down. and And the forecast in the statement of monetary policy, the benchmarks that he set was inflation this year at uh, you know a little bit above four um, percent. So the quarter on quarter inflation needs to be in and around that one percent level. I don't know if that's going to be met. That 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 needs inflation to half from yeah. the last reading to this reading. That, that's a that uh, he needs a big steep drop it in does, inflation, so that's a bit scary
1: as it well. Is, um, it is a bit scary, but it was far less traumatic than that that second innings with the cricket.
0: Yeah, there's
1: nothing in the economic news, nothing the Reserve Bank Governor can say
0: <laughs> is worse than that. Uh, that was like kicking my guts. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. To any Indian cricket fans, um, listening, <laughs> congratulations and good on you. <laughs> um, it's uh, uh. Damning to see as an Aussie cricket supporter, but um, you know, congrats though. That was wonderful to see for the Indian cricket fans out there. Um, But yeah, anyway, shall we carry on? Um, Yeah, so my summary is uh, it's too early to say that the housing downturn is over. There are these downside factors, and the RBA. Changing their tone on inflation mm. and their action and market outcomes of uh, where interest rates will head. I think our base case we said two to three r- rises was our base case. I think I'm going to push it up even further after hearing all these communications. Like all the other economists, I think there might, I think, I think the base case might be four percent now mm. or 4.1 percent for where the interest rate is. Um, heads up: the statement of monetary policy. Uh, sorry, the minutes that came out um, used 3.75 percent as as what they need the rate to be to get these inflation outcomes as yeah. well.
1: So, I, I think the summary of that is basically, you know, further tightening of lending conditions over the coming months, yep. um, you know, likely um, based on what the RBA's expectations are, an increase in unemployment, yep. um, you know, all of which lead to, you know, a weakening of demand for housing and should, you know, all other things being equal result in further price, you know, falls or prices moving backwards. Um, so, that that's kind of the the summary of the broader economic environment and how that's expected to improve prices over the next months. Um, but then, you know, we do have the data in February that's heading in the other direction. So (laughs) I kind of agree with you that it's, yeah, it's too early to, you know, to call. Um, and a lot of it will depend on what decisions the RBA take over the next, you know, three, four,
0: um, meetings. Yeah, for sure. Um, so what are all our conversations with borrowers that we're having? What are they telling us? Um, Like, what are you finding in your conversations with? with Yeah. So, like,
1: you know, anecdotally, we have good access to, you know, the market basically um, through running our business. So demand is strong is what I would say. There are lots of borrowers who are, Looking to get into the market and purchase, mm. I'd say on both fronts, first home buyers and owner occupiers, um, but also investors who are coming to us. You know, a lot of our investor clients are coming, coming to us, being like, "Look, let's redo the borrowing capacity numbers." Yep. A lot of the time, it doesn't work, but um, yep. nevertheless, they're coming to us, being like, "We've identified that now is a time to pu- now is a t- good time to purchase. Yep. Let's see if we can make it work." Yeah, for sure. Um, so I think on the demand side, people want to get their foot in the door.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah,
1: on the on the flip side, there are borrowers that we're speaking to that, you know, are looking at their overall, you know, repayment burden basically now at at higher interest rates, particularly as, you know, fixed rates come off. Yep. Um and you know, we are having more conversations with people who are looking at, you know, do they have to sell in order to, you know, I guess maintain their cash flow. Um so
0: yeah, it's really two two sides of the coin, I think. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I think that investor story is really interesting. This changes in how an investor can participate in the market now all these lending conditions mean that investment strategy is also changing um, the concept of being on a fairly average sort of income so um, you know a household income 150,000 for example between two people um, that will cover the bills and and um, be enough to you know ha- have a fairly comfortable life but um, that sort of income and investing and owning a home without existing substantial equity, it barely works at the moment, particularly in Sydney. Um, so, yeah. like, you know, just trying to buy an investment property will probably mean that you can't buy anything else. And trying to buy an owner occupier property, you'd be using all of your borrowing capacity. So, we're finding that actually being an investor is trickier at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so, investment opportunities will. The window is closing on the people who can actually do this. Now yes. it needs to be people who have fairly good incomes or fairly good equity positions, and you know, advanced sort of investors who, or advanced home buyers, you know, tapping into their equity to go purchase. Um, we're finding that's the case at the moment. Um, that different credit environments if you had you know more modest sort of incomes you could purchase an investment property maybe buy your own occupier but now it's it's a little bit of an either or proposition yeah. and the reason why i mentioned this is because it forces selling so if you have an investment property and you have your own home and you just want to upgrade your home or you want to make some even small little pivots you often have to sell a, a property to be able to do something and most people choose to sell their investment property to do that Yeah. so especially yeah. after all the equity gains that have occurred over the last five ten years as well so um That's some market level things that we're seeing, um, conversations about selling. And we talked about this in the 11 predictions, the investor sell off. Um, This is it sort of and how it's feeding through.
1: And yeah, we are definitely having more of those conversations with people consolidating their portfolio around what their, I guess, primary objectives are rather than, you know, any secondary or tertiary objectives. So yeah, having to reallocate the limited borrowing power they have to what they really want, which like you say, if they want to upgrade yeah, the owner off, the it can mean, you know, selling off the investment property to reduce the debt in order to make that happen. Whereas, you know, three, four years ago, um, you know, different lending environment, that might not have been a decision you had to make.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, you just touched on the key point there, scarcity of borrowing power. So, um, treat it and... <laughs> especially in these sort of credit environments, treat it as a scarce sort of resource that you might have. If you're an investor and you're thinking of investing, your borrowing power is extremely scarce at the moment. You won't be able to go buy properties to infinity. You have a limited amount of uh, borrowing potential um, uh, that's tied to your incomes. Um, and when you treat it as scarce, it can change investment strategies a little bit. Um, in my mind, it, it pushes off decisions away from, you know, you know, high yielding, low growth sort of assets to assets that focus in on growth over a period of time, because that's where capital gains will be made. Um, and that's kind of what you want from your po- property portfolio. Um, so, yeah. you know, obviously holding power is a bit difficult at the moment, too. So,
1: yeah. And I think it also pushes, you know, a lot of the conversations we have are people looking to grow a portfolio over time and trying to map out multiple purchases. Yep. Um, and I think, you know, the scarcity of borrowing power means it's put an increasing focus on maximizing. Your first purchase or the next purchase that you're going to make in terms of the quality of asset that you're going to buy, because of yep. that scarcity of borrowing power, there's less value in you know trying to plan or yes, trying to for map sure. two, three, four purchases out for sure. um, because it's harder and harder to get there, and you know the environment is likely to tighten further in the short for term. Sure. Sure. So a lot of the conversations I'm having is you know kind of advising people that look, you know. You, you're not going to buy three, yeah, or yeah. You really need to make this next one. You know, just focus on doing as good a job and making the best decision possible on yep. that, and don't don't try compromise that for you know future potential purchases. Yes, yes, um, because that's becoming increasingly tenuous. Yeah, um, so for sure, yeah, for you've, sure. you've you've. Um, yeah, don't essentially overcomplicate it, and then yeah, you know sure. compromise when you know if you just go all in on the next one, get the best asset you can, yes, um, and then kind of you know take your next steps from that.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think this um, with the rise of buyers' agents, there's a lot of buyers' agents' sort of approach, which is transactions based. Um, so they often promote strategies where you buy. Um, there's a guy on YouTube saying, "Buy 14 properties at 250,000 a pop." Um, you know that that used to work. It used to be a fairly creative way to maximize your potential, um, yeah. build your portfolios as much as possible. But credit environments have changed and, um, you know, what's realistic is different. Um, so um, when you're on normal sort of incomes, planning around um, having – one property or building around your scarce borrowing capacity is probably a more prudent approach. Um, and this gives rise to focusing in on quality rather than yeah. short-term hotspotting strategies, you know, picking an area that's going to do well in the next 12 months and then using that equity to go buy again. That Using that equity to buy again step might, might not be realistic. So exactly, yeah. maybe you want to think beyond the, the, the short-term benefits and think more of a five, 10-year plan and be like, look, is this going to do well? Um but yeah, 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 that's that's tricky to ascertain.
1: Yeah. So, how about we, we sum it up um, <clears throat> basically? Um, what's your kind of conclusion of what we've spoken about today? You know, we've got some data in for February showing Sydney potentially having some price rises. Yep. We've also got, you know, a f- pretty decent amount of jaw boning from the RBA. Um, I hope so,
0: Yeah. Yeah. They jawbone me into believing them, so um, it's working. Um, my conclusion is that Sydney is doing really well in February, and March. It's a surprise. Everyone will be talking about it very, very soon. Um, probably be a week or two after this podcast gets released. The media will pick it all up. That's true. The market is doing really, really well. But it's way too early to say definitively that this housing downturn is over. We talked about the number of reasons why with extremely tight credit conditions, and with the risk of what these credit conditions are due to the economy and due to household, it, there's uncertainty as to whether there's a, a double dip, I guess, if you want to call it. Um, so it's way too early to say that this housing downturn is over. For me to say that and feel comfortable in saying that, I think there needs to be a change in financial conditions, um, either rate-wise or APRA-wise, something that actually creates a push factor for housing de- um, demand. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's our summary. Um, you know, Thank you all for joining us again. Um, and yeah, if you have any questions, jump on Australian Property Talk. Um, our ebook is there, 11 Property Predictions, and you can also reach out to us directly uh, through that website. Um, and see you all next week.